Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. My brothers, my sisters in Christ. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I wonder, or it doesn't matter if we're talking about kings or presidents or emperors or the line leader before recess, power tends to go straight to our heads, right? Give one of us even an inch of authority and we will take a mile. Power and fame and influence and authority can change you too, can't they? They can make you believe things about yourself that you didn't before. I wonder if you went back in time and asked any politician who is successful now, if you went back in time to the day that they decided to get into politics and you asked them why they were doing it, I am sure the vast majority of them would say to help people, to make a difference, to support the causes that I support, to advance our nation. I'm sure a lot of them would say that. But then they get into their offices and the pursuit of power and the increasing responsibility and authority and the public eye, they tend to change a person. That's why some of them become corrupt. Power corrupts. And absolute power corrupts. Well, absolutely. Have you heard of a man named Tullian Chavidjian? He is the grandson of Billy Graham. He was a successful pastor. He was very charismatic. People loved him. They loved to listen to him. He was a brilliant evangelist. But it all came toppling down when he was exposed to be cheating on his wife. He lost everything. His ministry, his marriage, his relationship with his kids, everything. There he was picking up the pieces of his shattered life that he had thrown away, and he was forced to reckon with this question, how did this happen? How did it become possible that I could live a life where I wasn't even believing the things that I was preaching? And so Tullian Chavidjan did a lot of soul searching. He asked himself those tough questions and he came to this conclusion, that it all started going downhill when he began to believe his own press. And when people said to him, wow, you're an amazing speaker. Wow, you're such a great pastor. Wow, you're such an influential person. I look up to you. You're amazing. You know what he did? He believed it. He started to believe what people said about him. He believed his own press. And that is when the danger began. So Tully and Chavidjan has tried to make amends in all sorts of ways. He's back in the ministry. He's got a good relationship with his kids. But it's been a lot of work, and I don't think he's going to forget that lesson anytime soon. Don't believe your own press. So what's the point of bringing Tully and Chavidjan up? Is it so that we can judge him? Absolutely not. But his story tells us something about ourselves. He says, don't believe your own press because it is so easy to believe 
our own press. Somebody says, oh, you did a good job, or no one does the, does the work that you do the way that you do, or you're such a good person, or you're such an awesome friend, and stuff like that. And we love compliments. These are great things. I'm not saying that we should just disagree and say to the person, you're wrong. I'm not a good person. I don't do a good job. Sometimes a good job is just a good job, right? And if somebody calls a spade a spade, there's nothing wrong with that. But the problems start when we start buying into this lie that we are a cut above the rest. That we are cut from a different cloth than the rest of humanity. That there actually is something extra special about us that makes us better people, makes us harder workers, or makes us better than everyone else. Because then you start to think that the rules don't apply to you. Then you start to think that sin is someone else's problem. It's not your problem. Then you start to believe your own press. You need something to ground you. You need something to remind you that you're just a human being like everybody else. Because which would you prefer? Okay, to live a life like Tully and Chivichin? where you get exposed one day to, for, as the sinner that you actually are in front of your peers and family and friends in a horrible scandal? Or would you prefer to have to wait until Judgment Day to find out at the feet of King Jesus that the rules, in fact, did apply to you, you just thought that they didn't during your life? How about neither? God gives us a pretty simple way to avoid either scenario. And it comes to us in his instructions through the prophet Moses to Israel. You see, God knew that Israel was going to want a king. They were going to want a human ruler. And so God gives them some stipulations. He says, don't make sure that the king doesn't trust in gold. Make sure the king doesn't trust in war horses and chariots. Make sure the king doesn't take very many wives and make sure the king does this. And that's where we find our lesson for this evening. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priests. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. The word of the Lord. If you want to avoid believing your own press, O kings, if you want a constant reminder that you are just a human being like the rest of Israel, O kings, read this word. Read the Bible. Because there are going to be days, O kings, when you're going to be sitting on your throne made of gold with all these jewels, when you watch these people, thousands of them coming in every day, bowing before you, kissing your rings, where you might start to believe that you are a cut above the rest that you are a special kind of person, that you are cut from a different cloth. But I want you, God says, I want you to remember 
that you stand on level ground with the rest of them. You are no less sinful. You are no more righteous. You need to remember that, O kings of Israel. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but you know how the kings of Israel did at this command that God gave? Not very well. Even David, who was the best of the best, probably the best king that Israel ever had, he failed to recognize that he was just a human being like the rest of them. David, the best of the best, he had his sex scandals. He had his falls from grace. David forgot that the rules applied to him too. And if David was the best of the best, you can imagine how bad the worst of the worst were. Kings who followed whatever desires they wanted, who threw God's will out the window, who never opened their Bibles, never read the law of the Lord, and, all, and always failed to remember that they were just human beings like the people that they ruled over. This is terrible. Because the kings were supposed to be a picture of how the Messiah was going to be. And instead, as you read through the history of Israel, you see something about ourselves. How susceptible we are to believing our own press. How susceptible we are to letting power go to our heads. And how quickly we forget that we are sinners like everybody else. That we don't stand on any higher ground than any other human being. And the further we drift from the word of God, the harder it's going to be to remember that. But there was a king who was a cut above the rest. There was a king who was cut from a different cloth. There was a king who was more than just a human being. But even he didn't believe his own press in that sense. I mean, when you have Old Testament prophets, these amazing men of God, these brilliant leaders in Israel, saying about you that your name is going to be Emmanuel, God with us, that you are going to be the servant of the Lord. That's pretty amazing stuff. That's some pretty good press to be said about you. But instead of sitting on his throne of jewels and making us kiss his ring, what did this king do? He got up from his throne and he came down to us. He stood on level ground with you and me. He numbered himself with us, and he submitted to God's holy law. Jesus didn't pretend to be any better than you, even though he was. But every second of his life, he devoted to obeying God in your place. Jesus was never like a politician who loses themselves in their position of power and who forgets why they got into it in the first place. Jesus never lost sight of what he was using his authority for, of what his kingdom was all about. And you know what his kingdom is all about? Saving you. Saving sinners like you and me. He numbered himself with us so that he could save us. You know what Jesus did when the devil himself stood in front of him and tempted him with all the authority in the world, 
with all the power and influence and fame in the world, the devil said, all you have to do, Jesus, is just bow your knee just a little bit to me, and I can give you all the kingdoms of the world. I can make you the most famous person ever. You know what Jesus said? Leave me alone, Satan. He quoted scripture. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus showed that he followed what God told the Old Testament kings. He wrote scripture on his heart. Think about that. The man whom, whom scripture calls the word made flesh read the word of God and quoted it appropriately, showing that he was willing to follow God's commands to the letter. And because Jesus lived this life of obedience and he submitted himself to a gruesome death on a cross and he rose from the grave and now sits on the throne in heaven, he has made you a citizen of a different kind of kingdom. When you and I were running around and we were subjects to no one except for sin, Jesus freed us from subjection to sin. Jesus freed us from sin's rule over our hearts and lives and minds and made us citizens of his kingdom. We now submit only to King Jesus, our ruler. So in the meantime, how do we make sure we don't start believing our own press? How do we fight that temptation to start buying into what people are saying about us? How do we fight the temptation to start thinking that we are a cut above the rest? Well, read your Bible. If a yardstick is a little crooked, it's not good for much, right? If a yardstick is painted sloppily and you can't trust it to tell you what an actual inch is, what are you going to use it for? Nothing. Maybe a walking stick or a pretend sword, but not a yardstick. Aligning yourself, relying on other people's compliments for, to align your self-worth is like taking a broken or sloppily painted yardstick and trying to measure with it. It doesn't work. Because people only compliment you on stuff that pleases them. That looks good to them. If you want a yardstick that really works, use this one. Align yourself to what God says about you. Don't believe your own press. Believe Jesus' press. Believe Jesus' promise. That though you and I are weak in front of temptation, that though you and I are just as sinful as everyone else, Jesus loves you with a special love. He looks at you and he forgives you. That's what this yardstick, this scripture has to say about you. That is something you can align your life by, by what God has declared to be true about you. That you are loved. That you are forgiven. That you are his. That you are royal subjects in the kingdom of Jesus. And he's going to rule with power and authority, with grace and love, and mercy. He's going to protect you. He's going to provide for you. He's going to be with you. He's sitting on his throne in heaven, but he is near to you at every moment of your life. That's your King Jesus. That's some press you should believe. That's the promise that you can take home. Amen.